Welcome to the Talks at Google podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Jessica, bringing you this episode. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. This episode is with Academy Award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey, as he discusses Green Lights, his new memoir filled with raucous stories, outlaw wisdom, and lessons learned the hard way about living with greater satisfaction. For more information about the book, visit greenlights.com. Matthew McConaughey is an actor and producer, best known for his roles in movies such as Dazed and Confused, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Killer Joe, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Dallas Buyers Club, the latter of which earned him an Academy Award for Best Actor. Moderated by Googler Alan Seals, here is Matthew McConaughey, Greenlights. Hey everybody, welcome to Talks at Google. I'm Alan Seals, and I'm just going to cut right to the chase here. Our guest today is an Academy Award-winning actor, philanthropist, professor, director, so much more. He's recently added author to his long list of accomplishments, as he is here today to talk about his new book, Green Lights, which is a New York Times bestseller. I'm just going to bring him right in. Matthew McConaughey, welcome to Talks at Google. Hey, dude. How are we doing, Alan? <laughs> oh, we're doing really well. We were talking right before we started. We're like, don't know where we are. Doesn't matter where we are. I'm I'm awaiting the snowstorm here in Brooklyn. So okay, yeah, you look like, right. you're, looked like you're about to avoid it. I don't know where you are. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm uh, maybe on the uh, the opposite side of the equator where I am right now. No, no snow in the forecast over here. <laughs> well, obviously, uh, Green lights, well, talking about the weather there, immediately reminded me of um, where you wrote the book, Green Lights. You went out for 52 days in the middle of the desert, in this undisclosed desert. I guess it's your secret spot, but I want to give that away. And uh, and just wrote this book. But why, I guess, was this sort of like a a midlife crisis? Why 50? Why not 60? Why not 70? (laughs) Like, why now? Midlife crisis, I got to go write a book. <laughs> uh, who am I? What have I done? Uh, no, I, it, I I can't really say it was like a midlife crisis, but there's got to be more than coincidence for why I decided to finally go write it coming up around my 50th year on Earth. Um, I mean, I've been threatening to go write a book for the last 15 years. I've been keeping these journals for 36 years. The treasure chest with where all these journals go in has been filling up. And it's starting to overflow. And I take it with me wherever I go and set it next to my proverbial desk. And it barks at me and says, when are you going to open us up and see what's in here? And finally, about two and a half years ago, I had a ghostwriter on first because I was didn't, didn't have the courage to say, I want to go write it. And he got pulled from the project because the, the company he worked for wouldn't, wouldn't allow him to work with someone in my position as a celebrity to write a book. And just as it was coming out of my mouth and I was talking to my wife about, hey, I think I'm going to go look for another ghost writer. It, it, when I said that out loud, her and I both knew. It was like, no, this is a gift. I've got to go away and write it. So with a little kick in the backside from my wife, Camilla, who said, get out of here with those with that treasure chest of journals and don't come back until you got something. <laughs> and some 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 beef and some long branch bourbon and about 20 gallons of water and headed to the desert. <laughs> so I I actually think, you know, very case in point, 
the ghostwriter went away, this became your first green light in, in the long string of what was the green lights that, that make this book. So I know you've been asked this a million times, but for those who don't know the book, who don't know what a green light is, explain it in your own words. Yeah. Well, for instance, the ghostwriter gets pulled off. That was a green light. Looked like a red light. Oh no, my writer's gone. What am I going to do? The opportunity was, well, I need to go write it. That turned out to be a major green light. So what is a green light? Green lights are things in our life that we, they, they, they say, go, proceed. They affirm our way. More, please. boy. Way to go, girl. Yes, freedom. Mm -hmm. We like those because <laughs> they do all those things. Uh, yellow and red lights are the things in our life that make us take pause, slow us down. Make us get introspective for a moment. Sometimes they're a hardship, a crisis, a death, bad health. Um, we don't like those. Um, but I do believe that in the rearview mirror of life, we find out that we needed them. Or they at least had some intrinsic value, which I'm calling a green light asset within them. A lesson we were there to learn that we may notice while we're in that yellow or red light. We may notice it tomorrow, next week, next month, or on our deathbed. Or maybe maybe we don't even notice the green light from our red and yellow lights in this life. Maybe our great grandkids find out what that is um, two generations from now. Um, you can engineer green lights. I found this, that I've created, that I, got, that I actually created and engineered green lights in my life, meaning set myself up for more of what I wanted in the future with more ease because of decisions I made on the day. Um, so you can engineer them by certain responsibilities we take. Um, then sometimes they fall in your lap and you don't know where they came from, like the one where the, ride, the ghost rider got pulled. That fell in my lap. Oh, that was a gift. Uh, this would not have been the book. I would not have had the experience if I would have written with someone else. It was only would have been the book it is if I'd have wrote it myself. That was an inherent green light. And also the other cool thing that I'm starting to crystallize this idea in this book tour is the art is the approach to the yellow light. Because that's the choice. Do you slow down and let that yellow turn into a red? Because you know what? I need to take pause. I need to, I need to actually stop a minute. Or do you look at that yellow light and say, that little crisis ain't going to get my credit. Uh-uh. I'm pressing on the gas and blowing through this baby and turning it immediately into a green light because I'm not even going to give it credit. That, that to me sounds, uh, I guess, pulling in more of who you are and more of what I know from you, which obviously is somewhat filtered and through the public eye, right? Um, you seem like you're always on this quest. And I've I've actually listened to the book twice. On, and it's great. For those watching right now, I highly recommend the audiobook because you narrate it and you act out all the characters in it. It's amazing. Um, but the the quest you're you're on a quest it seems like you personally matthew are always on a quest to to become a better person to sort of transcend mm -hmm. like you you just said this life or next or whatnot so that implies to me that you believe in multiple lifetimes like you're always on this quest to be a better spiritual being whatever spirituality means to you and you know you go out to the desert you play bongos naked it's just whatever you want to do you try it. And there is, there's almost a, uh, there, there's sort of a philosophical teacher aspect to all of this, right? That, I mean, people read this book now, especially in COVID times when we're just around here in red lights left and right because right. of what's happening in the world. Do you realize sort of the impact 
that this book is having in a time when we sort of didn't realize we may have needed it the most because this is an instruction manual for how to turn these red lights or into green lights or how to approach these yellow lights and make them green lights. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm uh, starting to realize it a little bit um, as humbly as, 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 I, as I can. I, you know, I am there. I do believe there is a science to satisfaction. I don't have it figured out yet, but I've found some things in the equation that seem to consistently add up and not just for me, for each one of us. And even collectively, there are ways to approach things. I start off the, the book with a, my first sort of tool equation is when faced with the inevitable, get relative. Well, we can unpack that a thousand different ways, but let's look at this time right now. We're in COVID. It's inevitable. We've been in it for eight, nine months. And now it looks like we have an out as the vaccine's coming in. But man, it's, it's been an inevitable disruption in our lives. And I've been guilty of it. A lot of us have been guilty of it, of just putting our head down going, what? WTF, man, what's going on? I'm losing this or people losing their job or even loved ones. The people are at least inconvenienced heavily throughout. You've had to change rituals, structure of lives. Things have been thrown upside down. It doesn't make sense. Damn it. Well, you can only say that you can only say that for so long. You so you get relative with the inevitable by going, all right, this is real. <laughs> I, 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 I write in the I write in the book at the end about, you know, once you know it's black, it's not near as dark. One part of, of, of creating or at least seeing the green light assets out of the red light room right now is admitting that it's it's a real doozy, man. And a lot of people I've seen don't really I've not even or I've had trouble admitting that or they think it's over tomorrow. And then they think it's over the next day. And they've been thinking that for eight months and they're absolutely wasted, exhausted now, eight months later, because every night they had, they went to bed with the hope that thinking that tomorrow it's over. So they were kind of in denial that it was real and it was around. Um, so I've just put some, some tools down there. So maybe I call it approaches um, that have helped me. I've also put stories in there where I had the wrong equation and I found consistent ways that it made me, less happy in life or created set me up for more failure in life. So I'll point those out at equal amendment through the book. And what's cool is that I'm noticing that, and it was sort of my hope after I wrote the book that people are relating to it personally. They're subjectively looking at my stories and going, Oh, I, I can subjectively the reader take that instance from McConaughey's story into my life. And I actually have, uh, a, a similar parable. I have a similar experience in my life. I approached it this way and it worked for me. Or, ooh, next time I'm in that position like that, that McConaughey just brought up, I'm going to approach it like this. And so if it can be, it's, I'm finding that it is kind of constructive and that people are at this time going, thank you. That's what, that's what I needed. And that feels great because any piece of art, what, do, what, what does an artist want? Man? I want it to translate. You know what I mean? I want, I want someone to be able to see, oh, I'm seeing myself in these stories. I'm seeing humanity in these stories. And the cool thing is when I was writing it, I found, and I felt it in about day 30, the more personal I got, the more relatable it seemed to become. Yes. 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 That in my experience too, I mean, it, being vulnerable and exposing or living your truth, living in the moment, right? right? That's what, that's what we all strive to be. And I think at a young age, 
when we all of a sudden realize that we are mortal, I've got two small kids right now, six and four and a half. And my older one says, I'm scared. He told me the other day, he said, I'm scared that the, when the sun is going to swallow the earth, that I'm going to feel it. And so like, they're just now starting to, to realize all the stuff. And when we are consciously constructing these defenses to, to fight our mortality and to fight our, our yeah. impending, as you say, as when the director calls cut, Right. right. You know, that one, you got one action and one cut, and then we're living right. the, 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 the screenplay of life in the middle. You want to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And what I applaud you for and what comes out in the movie, I mean, not the movie, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll make a movie of your life. What comes out in the book is that you have never seemed to be afraid of taking risks and taking challenges and, and having challenges face you. And, maybe i mean speak to that is that did that come from your parents or is that just something that that well you, you know nature I, versus nurture here i think it's a bit it's i mean it's a combination i mean parents really instilled resilience which probably led to being able to shake off failure quicker and hop back up and try again or not be not dwelling a loss or dwell in a failure or an un being unsuccessful at something and an, an attempt and to hop back up and try it again. So some of my, sometimes I've been risky just by sheer persistence and endurance taking risks because Gigi keep knocking on the door. You're back again. I told you, no, come back again tomorrow. Okay. Yes. And maybe you could call that a risk by sheer frequency of times I've tried. Um, you know, I've, I would still say, if I was going to go back and tell, talk to my 14 year old self, what advice would I want to give? I'd say, take more risk, take more risk, man. Uh, because usually, you know, and we start to fear it. There's different levels where we fear risk. You know, uh, you, you have the early stages of life where like the child mm -hmm. doesn't is not, is not afraid of heights until they fall out of the tree. <laughs> You know, so you could, you can, I pulled things off out of sheer ignorance, you know, cause I didn't know how high in the tree I was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I didn't look down, you know, where now I look up and now in more context, I can be objective to the situation, measure it. I'm like, look back, whoo, I wouldn't do that again. I'm sure glad I didn't know, you know, and then as you get older, you know, things, you build things, you have, you know, I have whatever form of wealth I have. I have my family. There's things I want to protect. There's certain risks I'm not going to take today because I'm not, if they have any chance of, of, of hurting or, 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 or cracking the, 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 the bubble of wealth that I have in my life, family and things, I'm not going to be foolish. I'm not going to throw out everything and say, I'll, I'll put all this up. I built for, you know, at risk of losing it. No, I'm not going to do that. But I think, I, I, here's it. Here's what it is. I, <laughs> what'll keep me up at night, what'll wake me up at night is the regret of not knowing. Ooh. If, if I could have, if I, maybe I could have pulled it off. And, and I like to know, meaning it's the limbo that sucks. It's the limbo we're all in right now that sucks. Give me it. Let me, let me know. And if I pull it off, I can look in the mirror and go, there we go. If I fail, I can look in the mirror and go, I know who failed. I don't like the, 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 the black hole, that blind spot of going, well, I don't know why, or I don't know. I wonder if I could have pulled it off. I'll never know now. That I don't like. <laughs> so maybe that's where the risk taking comes from. I think, I think some of, I, I agree. Of course, I agree with you. <laughs> 
I, I want to, to surmise here that some of this came from uh, your father, and you talk about this a lot in the book, your relationship with him, and then he, he basically didn't teach you and your brothers to, do, to not do wrong. He told you not to get caught. So it was basically take your chance, do what you want to do, but be smart about it. You bet. That was it. You better, you know, yeah. Pull it off. Learn how to pull it off if you're going right. to pull up. Yeah. Right. So I don't know what, my, I don't know what my favorite story is because there's so much risk that you've taken and you talk about your failures, failures and turning them into the green lights and then just taking risks and they immediately work. And, you know, I, I put myself in in your shoes and like if I was, I think you were 14 when you were stealing lumber from the lumber yard to build your own tree house. And yeah. you've never been back there since like stealing lumber to me, my, my relationship with my parents was like, the law is the law. You don't steal. You just don't do anything. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you're not, not that there's anything right or wrong with this, but you know, you're like, just don't get caught, build your, build your tree house because you're going to really got trouble for stealing the lumber. Right. But but yeah, it was still just a credo underneath of like the story in there when I stole the pizza, you know, and then gotten got gotten big trouble for lying about it, not right. for stealing damn pizza, but for lying four times to my dad about it in front of his face. And tip out there to all kids and let your kids know this too. Where if you ever come home at night and your parents are up when actually they usually be asleep and they're on the phone and they say okay, I got this from here, Mr. So-and-so. And they say the last name of the guy or the girl that you out, went out and stole the pizza with that night. And then their <laughs> next question is, so you went out and had pizza, did you pay for it? That means they know you didn't pay for it. So don't lie. <laughs> like I did. I wheezed, I tried to weasel four times. But it was, <laughs> I didn't get in trouble. My dad's heart wasn't broken because I stole a damn pizza. He said, I got stole a pizza before. He was. He, I broke his heart that night because I fibbed to him four times in a row to his face. Um, so yeah, uh, it was a lot about getting caught or don't get caught. Um, and it was about, a lot of that's about hustle. And I mean, both senses of the world word. I mean, out hustle somebody as in endurance and, and, and giddy up. And also life's you, like, you, you better be a salesman. You better be a salesman and hustle and hustle things, not pick anyone's pocket, but, Let's hustle this situation. Let's go. What do we got? Let's be street. So that was inherently kind of put in us probably. Well, that's interesting because inherently you're sort of being taught to, to look for the green lights, you know, look for the hustle, look for how you can take advantage of the situation. But in all your stories and everything that, that I read, nothing, no one's ever taken advantage of, no one's ever hurt. So like you're stealing lumber, you're not hurting people. You're yeah. you're stealing a pizza, whatever, but you're not like stealing money from someone and putting them out in a place where they can't recover from that. It's a look, I, I hear you. It's a you know, that goes back to the relativity. I my parents were outlaw logicians, if that's such if that's a word. <laughs> it was outlaw logic, meaning Boy, they, you know, they, they, you could wink on a white lie. You could, and, and, you could white lies were like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they were also relative, you know, so you could wink on the fib. It's why I say, and they're like, you know, the difference between liars and bullshitters. You know what I mean? The bullshitter kind of lets you know he's bullshit and you can go along with it. Liar doesn't let you know. Where you're, I come from a family of good bullshitters. You know, the white lies kind of, yeah, that's a better story that way. You know, so, you know, and, and it was an uh, us against the world sort of thing. Although we didn't look at 
life as a, a, a competition with the world or like the world was against us. If anything, we looked, we saw it the opposite. No, the world's actually the go out thing. The world's for you. The world is on your side. Go out and be on its side, but take, but, but go quarterback the thing, go run, but it's working with you. The world time. We always told, would hear this time is on your side. It's not against you. Um, it's why we couldn't get grounded. You know, that's why we had instead of getting grounded because they were like, if we ground you, we'd be taking your time and time is your most valuable asset. We're not going to do that to you. OK. I've been there. <laughs> how do you how do you translate this to now to now being a father? You have your own children. And I, and I know that you and Camilla are very, uh, very made a very strong decision to not sort of hide the celebrity status and make sure that they know. um uh, yeah, just know sort of who you are. And and that is, that's a bigger statement than just Matthew McConaughey, daddy is a celebrity. It's who you are as a person, I want to say, right? It's what you value, what you believe in, what other people think of you. Right. And how how are you taking, I feel like the book is a bit of a catharsis for yourself that can clarify things, but then how are you taking what you learned from writing the book and, and translating that to being a father? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the, 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 the best father I can be is, the, is, is on my mind daily. Um, that's the sort of position that I've always, since eight years old, most revered the possibilities within being a good parent. The only thing I ever knew I wanted to be was a dad. You're now a dad. Your first child's born. I bet you the first six months after your first child was born, you, I mean, that a, a, a father is like so wonderfully masculine at that time, meaning the head and the heart are on a clear path. Any instinct you have out there, fathers, after you're first born in the first six months after they're born, triple down on them. I mean, they, they bet the house on it. Um, and then we also become immortal as parents, even, you know, literally biologically immortal we become. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm learning. I've got 12, 10 and seven. I still want to instill the same values that my parents instilled in me, but I go about it in different ways. Yeah, I do. My, my family was corporal punishment. Bam, get it over with. No grudges, go. Uh, and what do we get in trouble for? Lying, uh, saying I hate you, and saying I can't. You know, you get your, you get your mouth washed out with soap for saying the F-bomb or shit or something like that, but you got in real trouble if you said the word hate or C-A-N-T. Now, there were values instilled and in why that was such a serious uh, misdemeanor in our family to say those things. Um, so what are the antonyms of those things? Um, love, don't hate. You can have trouble doing something, but don't believe you can't. And, you know, tell the truth. Don't lie or be a, be a bullshitter, but not a liar. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm. I'm writing it. Obviously, you know, as a, as a father, as most parents do, what's the first thing I notice? Oh, it's more DNA than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really used to think it was like 90, 10, you know, nurture and like negatory. Uh, yeah. I actually flipped that, buddy. Um, so, you know, they come out who they are. Um, we, my children are born into an affluent position, more affluent than, than I was born into. Um, and so, that's a constant challenge with Camilla and I that we want them to embrace what we got because we feel like we've earned what we've gotten in the life we have. Um, we, uh, we, we, we we're good people. We got a good work ethic. We've gone and done good work. Um, that is 
given us a, a great house and property and food on the table that we don't have to go, oh, if I don't work today, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. So we're in a very affluent position that way. I want our, we want our children to respect that, to not rely on that, but actually never to do falsely modest if someone, someone at school went to my son. Oh, I bet your dad, I bet y'all live in a big house because your dad's rich and famous. And the, the, the child, my, the, my son, I think, didn't know how to respond to that. Um, and we talked about it. And then the, the, the kid said to him uh, again, like the next day, and uh, my son said, yeah, the, yeah, we actually do have a really nice big house. My dad works really hard and is good at what he does, and that affords us to get that house. So uh, we, we don't want them to think we're better than anyone else. Don't get your, our, our, my, my respect or integrity doesn't come from being rich and famous. We're trying to say, hey, those things happened because of who I am or who Camilla is or who we are as people. Uh, it, it delayed gratification, one of the great things we want to teach our kids. And even a lot of us adults still need to know, me included, or understand it. When I won the Oscar for Best Actor, they gave me the trophy. My kids said, what's the trophy for? And I, and I, you know, sometimes the kids ask a question, you have that, you go, oh, this is a good teaching moment. I went, well, you remember a year ago when we were working in New Orleans and Papa had the thin neck. You said he looked like a giraffe. So that was <laughs> right? They went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, well, the work I was doing every day then, when you would wake up in the morning and Papa would already be gone to work. And then come home at night. The work I did then, my peers decided to give me a trophy for a year later because they thought my work was excellent. And I saw my three kids click. Wait a minute. You can do something today. If you do it well, you can get rewarded tomorrow. It's like, yes. Yes, you can. And that was a, a really cool Thing that you know, it's, it's, it's who we are, and a lot of green lights. A lot of the book is about that. What are the decisions we make today that are being cool and kind to our future selves? And there, we, it's, we again, we can engineer those sometimes through how we go about life. Well, speaking of of the future and cool and kind, I have one more question for you, and then we'll and this will this will be the last one. We'll let you go, but in my opinion, you are a successful actor. You've been successful in your career because you're not really acting you're more you are more being in the moment you are living your truth in that moment and so at first in your in your younger your younger career it was rom-coms because you that was that was you in real life more or less and then you right. took a break didn't know what you're doing got into the more dramatic stuff the serious stuff and it's funny because looking back at your career progression it sort of represents to me the same um evolution and maturity that that uh, the average person would have as they're gro growing older and of course dealing with their own lives and whatnot. So now you are you know, you're 51 now and you've got this book, added something else new. You took a risk and it's paying off. You've written this great book that everybody needs to go get. What do we, what can we see from next of you? What's, what's future Matthew going to give us? Great question. And one I'm asking myself and I've been, you know, the last couple of years, I really started to, and it's part of why I went and wrote the, part of why I went and wrote the book. You know, I'm trying to get rid of the, I've always been trying to get rid of the filters and the gaps between what we intend to do, what we're actually doing, how it's being received. There's always gaps in between those things. And, it, and I'm trying to get rid of those gaps. Now, acting, I'm doing, when I'm acting in a film, 
or a movie or a series. I'm doing somebody else's script directed by someone else, lensed in a camera by someone else and edited by someone else. There's four filters from my raw expression. The book is one filter. It's the written word. This direct, this is, the, we're, we're, this is closer to filterless. All right. This is, and I'm trying to go, what is filterless? Well, the real filterless, if I'm going to put myself on the line is, well, who am I going to be? And what am I going to do in the, this big show called life where it's live? It's happening right now. The recorder's on. It's always on. As you said earlier, there's action called one time the day you're born and cuts called one time the day you die. So I'm saying to myself, boy, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how interested I am right now about going and doing something where I have those four filters and putting it in a capsule and grabbing it and putting it, exhibiting it in the theater or on your TV screen. Well, wait a minute. What's the, what, what live the documentary? You know, the, the, what's the documentary that we're each living right now? The story we're writing, what is it live? I don't need a camera following me, but what is it? It's one long take. And I've got 51 years and 51 years into the take. So, <laughs> Quit going over and doing these little one-offs, you know, and I'll still do that. I still want to go act in that way. But I'm asking myself, who do I want to be as a, and I want to step into some, I really like a certain, certain leadership roles. Um, culture's a big, a big thing. Values are a big thing for me. I've been approached about politics lately. I don't know if that's the right category to do those things. Uh, um, to, I, I also, I'm a believer that we're not going to make a collective change until each one of us individually look in the mirror and say, how can I be a little bit better today or a little more true mm -hmm. to myself today? And if enough of us do that, we do make collective change. I'm also chasing down this um, chasing yet. That's what we're all doing as individuals, as counties, as states, as countries, as people. If we can get rid of this idea that there's ever a ta-da moment <laughs> that if we can get rid of this idea that there is a result that we will get to the top of the mountain. No, we won't. <laughs> We're never going to get there. There's never going to be perfect equality. And that's the point though. If we can keep chasing it and getting a little bit closer, that's as good as it gets. And if we just get that click to go, Oh, I mean, it's it, the game never ends. The whistle's not being blown until I'm out of here for me. And after that, the game still goes on and it's gone on a long time before I got here. There's no ta-da moment. We don't ever find the utopia. We can chase it. That's the point. We can chase it individually. We can chase it as, as a people, as nations, but we don't get there. And if we can understand that, hey, that's what we, that's what we can actually get off to. That, oh, I get it. I never actually going to finish. There's no destination. And that, and that, in the way you and I were talking about death earlier, that can be something that you smile and feel from the inside and go, oh, that's really cool. There's really no destination. But a lot <laughs> of people in that subject go, oh, my God. Well, no, no, no. Especially since it's the one thing we can rely on. <laughs> you know, that, right. that you never land there. So since it's inevitable <laughs> that it's going to happen, we are going to die or there is no perfect utopia or we're never going to have that moment where we go ta-da i've got it because every time we think we have those moments which is fun and we know it's fleeting because here it goes something happens either we implode it or the world does and we're back off track trying to get back on frequency again so chasing yet um and also 
breaking down the contradictions that we have between things like responsibility and freedom that we have between being selfish and selfless that we have between things we want and things we need um, between technology and the value of the human individual. We see those as contradictions a lot. And I don't think they are. They, 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 they can be, but it's up to us. Um, and we can see those as a paradox where there is a choice that we can make daily that is personal and selfish. That actually is the most selfless choice and vice versa. The most selfless choice can be the most selfish choice. We can find that place where what we want is actually what we need. Woo, isn't that great? I would call that heaven on earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> if everything you wanted was actually what you needed and everything you needed was actually what you wanted. Whoa. Again, the gap's closed. The filter's gone. Uh, well, I'm, I, I, I'm so excited to see where you go next because now that you've achieved this level of removing the filter and, and writing what you want to write, and, and again, the audiobook for everybody watching, everybody listening, I highly recommend the audiobook because hearing you speak your own words, it just, again, no filter. You're acting it out. It's brilliant. Please, uh, everybody, just get the audiobook. It's so good. If you don't read the book, it's amazing. But I know you're short on time. Thank you so much for being here. This has been such a pleasure. And uh, and hope uh, I can't wait to see what, what we see from you next. Well, I appreciate it. And it was great, great talking to you, man. Uh, All we'll right. go long time. Look forward to it. All right. Thank you. All right. Later. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more of our amazing content, you can always find us online at youtube.com slash talks at Google, on our website, google.com slash talks, or via our Twitter handle, at talks at Google. Talk soon!